Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jessie Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 93 of This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Kristen Heyman about pregnancy with type 1 diabetes. Jesse is out this week, so I have the win, the fail, and the hack. My win is that the other day, I noticed that my blood sugar started to go down, so instead of using Smarties to bring it up, which tends to be my default, I turned off my insulin, and I left it off until my number started coming up on its own, and that happened within like 15, 20 minutes. So my insulin wasn't wasn't off for that long. Then I just turned it back on again, and that seemed to work pretty well. But I guess the fail is connected to that, and it's it's that the my control IQ, which is a setting on my tandem insulin pump, wasn't catching my blood sugar when I wanted it to or fast enough. So fail on that. And the hack this week is if you're considering having kids and you're a type 1 diabetic woman, please make sure you find an OBGYN who knows about type 1 diabetes and whose patients have type 1 diabetes. And as you'll hear in this interview with Kristen, you'll want to find someone who is a specialist for high-risk pregnancies because type 1 can put us at high risk for things to happen during pregnancy. You'll want to find someone who's familiar with your type of situation. And now, here's the interview with Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Hi, Colleen. Thanks for having me. So let's just get started. And could you give us the rundown of who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life? Sure. So my name is Kristen Heyman. The role that diabetes has played in my life, um, I was actually diagnosed when I was two years old. I'm 35 now. So I've been a type 1 diabetic for 33 years. I also have a couple cousins on my mother's side who also have type 1 diabetes. Also, I'm a nurse. Um, so aside from my personal journey with diabetes, I've also helped patients manage their their journeys with diabetes by providing um, support, education, whatnot. We are diagnosis age twins. I was also diagnosed at age two. Oh, wow. That's so rare to find other people who are diagnosed so early in life. I also have a friend who was diagnosed at 18 months and three other friends who were diagnosed at four years old. So I went oh, to wow. camp and we ended up having a lot of people who were diagnosed young. Oh, yeah, that's that's interesting. So clearly you were two years old, so you probably didn't know anything about diabetes before you were diagnosed. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> but it sounds like with the cousins that your family did? Yeah, so it was interesting. My One of my cousins who was diagnosed, I know my mother was very involved with her diagnosis, she's older than me. So my parents actually knew exactly what to look out for. So I know a lot of times when children are diagnosed, it's a kind of a process and parents don't know exactly what's going on. So it takes longer to get diagnosed. But mine was really quick because as soon as I started having symptoms, my parents were both suspicious about what it was. They took me in 
right away because of the patterns that they had noticed. And so I was diagnosed really, really quickly. With over 30 years of experience in this, do you have any favorite or least favorite things about diabetes? I have lots of least favorites. (laughs) Favorites, I guess it's hard to say a favorite, but I guess just the fact that it forces me to be like more mindful of wellness because really, you know, eating healthfully, exercising, they're things that everyone should do. And I think um, diabetes just forces you to, to really be more mindful and consistent with that. Did it have any effect on your choice to be a nurse? Absolutely. I think because I was always so forced to be involved with healthcare and medical professionals, that's what made me want it to want to go into uh, healthcare. Awesome. So how do you manage your diabetes? Like uh, insulin pump, CGM? Yeah. um, So now I manage with, I have a tandem insulin pump. I also have a CGM and I, both of those were things that I decided to get when I was pursuing pregnancy. So actually right before I got pregnant with my girls is when I started um, with both the CGM and the insulin pump. But I'm sure as you know, being um, diabetic for so long, there's been a a long road of different treatments and, and things. So it's been quite a road leading up to this point as far as my current treatment regimen. (laughs) Yeah, I've been on pumps for almost 20 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, it seems like a long time. Yeah, I, I initially tried, I think my doctors had been trying to talk me into it for a really long time. And I tried my first pump I think right after college and I wasn't, I wasn't sold on it at that point. So I think I wore it for like a few months and I was like, no, I'm just going to go back to injections. And then, then I was told, you know, things have changed. It's different than it was 10, 15 years ago. So then um, I decided to give it a go again when I wanted to get pregnant because I thought it might lend some better control with the different bolus options. So it's been a good experience this time around. I'm also on the tandem and plug for that. Love it so much. Yeah. Yeah. What diet have you found works best for your blood sugars? I know a lot of people like bounce between diets or they prefer one or the over the other. Yeah. I think for me, the the best that I found is a reduced carb, not like strict like keto for me that isn't really necessary, but I'll say like focusing on proteins, vegetables, and just being mindful of carbs. So like if I have fruit, I do better with things that are lower sugar, like berries, apples, melon, that type of thing, nuts, popcorn. So not not super, super strict, low carb, but reduced seems to keep my blood sugar levels more stable. Did that change at all? Or how was that affected with your pregnancy? I think when I initially um, in the, the first trimester, which my my care team told me, I would be really, really insulin sensitive, which definitely was the case. So the first trimester, especially like in the first couple months of pregnancy, I feel like I was able to eat more and not have much of an issue. And then they warned me that especially like in the third trimester, I would become a lot more insulin resistant which I definitely did due to the placenta. And I was pregnant with twins. So the the insulin resistance increases when you have two placentas. So by the end of my pregnancy, I was taking um, like three times the insulin as what I normally take. So at that point, I feel like I definitely did better if I modify my diet and try to watch the carbs and whatnot. But I, I tried not to be too, too strict 
for my mental health. <laughs> but it is definitely easier, easier to keep things stable when I'm not eating too many carbs. Not just one kid, but two at the same yeah. time. Wow. Two. Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so something that we ask all of our guests is what does burnout mean to you? And if you've experienced burnout, what have you found helps you manage it or get you out of it? I have had burnout a few times. And to me, burnout just means it feels like I'm just sick of like the the whole process, sick of like looking at sugars, having to manage everything, sick of having to always think about my diet, sick of having to pre-plan what I'm eating, sick of having to manage like shipments of all these supplies and keep up with everything on top of, you know, just daily life. And then especially I feel like it's hard when, you know, sometimes you go through periods where it feels like nothing you're doing is working. I feel like that's, that can be really frustrating, which I went through a lot, um, I think during my, my teenage years. So then you kind of feel like nothing is working. So why am I even trying? But I think that I think having someone to talk to is important, which was a struggle for me because I think maybe because I was diagnosed so young. So I really didn't know anything outside of being diabetic. I felt like I didn't really have a good support system of other like friends or people that I was close to who also had type one. So I would say having having a tribe, I think helps because I think it's helpful to talk to people who actually get it and understand what you're going through. It's nice to have someone to vent to that actually really understands what it's like having to deal with all of this day to day. And then also, I think sometimes like while I love the technology, I love like having the pump and the CGM at the same time. I think sometimes having a break from technology is helpful also, especially like during pregnancy. I I think I was once waiting for a new box of sensors to come for my CGM. So I had to go like a day or two without the CGM, which initially gave me some anxiety, but it was, I found that it was perfect timing because like mentally I really needed a break from constantly seeing what was happening with my glucose, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, it <laughs> totally does. While it's really helpful, it can also be very stressful to see every single arrow and direction that everything is happening. Like sometimes I want to eat and just enjoy my food and not think about <laughs> what's happening afterwards. <laughs> I think we all do that to some level. It's like you look at the box of donuts and you wonder what would, what would it be like just to eat it and not worry about your exactly. blood sugar. Exactly. So it's nice to have a day here and there where you can just do that and <laughs> not have to see exactly what's happening the minute after you finish eating. I think some of the best, like some of the best like artificial feelings that you can do like this is if you have a really like a perfect day of blood sugars and you're mm -hmm. within range and like you just don't even check it because yeah. nothing's going off. And like yeah. maybe the first indication that something is wrong is auto off. So exactly. it'll turn off by itself after 15 hours of not pushing a button. Exactly. That's happened. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm with you. So with over 30 years of experience with this, what have you, what are some of the major changes you've seen with type one diabetes therapy over time? I'll say definitely with the medication. So having had it so long, like I can remember when Lantus first came out and that was like a big deal to have a long acting insulin that you just take one time a day that doesn't really have a big 
peak. I think that was a big deal because I know when I was when I was much younger, the the long acting insulin that I used was Lente, and it had peaks, uh, which resulted in a lot of extreme low blood sugar. So having that stability was really really nice. And then of course all of the technology that's available now, so the pumps, the CGM, um, I think is huge. And like I follow um, the diabetes hashtags on social media, and it's really cool because I can see parents with young children that have diabetes and how it seems like, I won't say easy because I don't think having a, a child with diabetes is ever easy, but it's definitely a lot easier than what I think my parents had. And I'm sure yours, because I just, I can't imagine having a child and like, like they had to wake up like all night checking blood sugars and you know, that type of thing. So I think having this technology is a huge advantage and something that I think would have been great to have when I was younger, but better late than never. My mom 100% had regular wake-up times that she would come and check my blood sugar. Yeah. And it, she still had that habit even when I, after I went to college. Yeah. I feel like once as a parent, once you, once you get used to that, it, it doesn't just go away. Like you, you always worry. I know my parents, when I went away to school, they still they still call to check and make sure that I was okay through the night and in the early morning. So I don't think you can ever get rid of that. <laughs> so knowing what you know now with all this experience, is there anything that you wish your parents had done differently when you were a kid? I think so. There's some things that I think when I was a kid, I wish they had done differently, but as a parent, I don't know how you would have. So like, I feel like every place I went, I feel like I was like known as like the kid with diabetes because they had to make it very known. Like, I need a snack at this time. This has to happen at this time. These are the symptoms, you know. So it was always a a big to do, I feel like. And I didn't, sometimes I just wanted to be me. I didn't really want that label. And so I think because of that, as I got older, it was always something that I was very secretive about. So like now I've gotten to a place where I'm like open about it. But for I feel like most of my life, like once I was old enough where my parents didn't have to like introduce me or like make statements about it, I would just choose to not really share it. Like if it if it naturally came up, then it did. But it wasn't information that I really volunteered. And I think that it had a lot to do with my childhood and not having a choice about it. I think that's that's probably the biggest thing. And then I'll say the next thing after that is I think just wishing that I had more of a diabetic tribe, like other people who were my age and dealing with the same thing. Um, when I was younger, I did go to diabetic camp for a couple summers. But I also think that it, it makes a difference if you're diagnosed a little bit later in life. Because, you know, when you're diagnosed so young, you don't know any different. So it doesn't necessarily feel that you need the same support because you don't have you don't have a recollection of what life was prior to diabetes. So I feel like the diagnosis itself, if this makes any sense, is not not as big of a deal. Like it's a big deal for your parents, but for you, you don't know any different. It's, it's all you know. Whereas I feel like if you're diagnosed when you're 10 or 11, it's a much a much bigger deal because you actually know what life was before. And so in that way, I think that there's a lot more support offered 
if you're diagnosed later because it's a a more life-changing event. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. My co-host who's not on with us today is uh she's 18 and she was diagnosed when she was 9. So she was a little bit older, but she still went through camp and that's how I met her and she was my counselor in training for a few years, but it's I really like that we have camps to go to regardless of how old you are when you start because it has it's basically that built-in like support system like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really important. Do you have any like favorite or kind of cherished memories about life with type one? Maybe something that happened that you're really proud of? I think my, this will sound weird probably because it's not a good thing per se, but I guess what came out of it, I think is good. Um, But I want to say this was about 10 years ago. It was a holiday. It was either like Christmas or Thanksgiving. And at the time I was working night shift in the hospital And so um, my parents were going to come into town. I went home and I, in that morning after I got off of work, I cooked dinner that we were going to eat for later. And then I went to bed. And at some point when I was asleep, this was before CGM, my blood sugar dropped really, really low when I was sleeping. And my dad called when they were on the way and he could tell that I wasn't like I sounded disoriented. So he, he thought that uh, my blood sugar was probably low and my parents were really, really close. They knocked on the door and then something, I guess the knock like triggered it. Cause I wasn't having like a full insulin reaction when he called, I just seemed a little bit out of it, but that's when it actually started where I was having like a full insulin reaction and my parents were at the door and they could actually hear it happening from outside. So I'm sure they were outside of my door freaking out. And I I don't know how it happened. It, I'm very spiritual. So I feel like it had to be God. But somehow in the midst of my insulin reaction, I was able to walk to the door, unlock it and let my parents in. So I feel like that's probably I would say my favorite memory, just because I feel like for that to happen and for me to just be able to open the door while this is happening means that I have some purpose. I'm supposed to be here. And it makes me really, really value life. So I thought that was pretty miraculous. (laughs) I got chills. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Wow. That is an amazing story. Yeah. So when I think um, about it, I'm like, I don't even know how that happened. (laughs) I, I, yeah, it's so weird. Like sometimes things will happen and you just have, there's like no physical reason why it should. Like I took, I took my, my glucose meter on a, on a business trip, but I forgot the charger. And then uh, the sensor that I put in started bleeding. And so I didn't have a backup sensor, but oh the no. next morning, the chart, like the glucose meter, the previous night it had said low battery, which is why I knew I didn't have the charger. The next morning it was full charge. Oh, wow. I was like, there's no way. <laughs> hey, sometimes things just come together for our good, right? <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, it's crazy. All right, let's talk more about your pregnancy with type 1. Kind of overall, what was it like to be pregnant while you have type 1 diabetes? So I will, I'll start from the the very beginning because it's kind of an interesting story. So in 2019, it was, I believe, August of 2019, I tested, I took a pregnancy test. It was positive. And I was not expecting it at all. It was a 
a big surprise to me. And I wasn't, I'll say initially, I was just shocked. I wasn't excited yet because I had like plans for the next few months. And I was like, oh, this is not the timing that I was looking for. So then over like the next few weeks, I started to get a little bit more excited about it. And then um, me and my husband found out that we were miscarrying. So then um, the doctor said, well, just wait another cycle and you can try again. So same thing, October, I took a pregnancy test. It was positive. And then that turned out to be an ectopic pregnancy. So then same. So then at that point, my OB said, you know, usually we wait to see if you have like three miscarriages before we send you um, to a reproductive specialist. She said, but you know, with your history, because you have diabetes and because you've been diabetic so long, she's like, I think that we should just do it now instead having seeing that you've had two abnormal pregnancies. So I went to a reproductive specialist, but also I just did some some thinking on my own, like a lot of reflecting about like my health and whatnot. And like, I want to say a year or so before this, I went to a high risk pregnancy office because I was told by my OB, like, since you know that at some point you want to be pregnant, you should just talk to high risk OB early on so that they can do a consultation with you. Cause we like to do that early before you even start the process. So I went and they said they didn't see any reason why it wouldn't be safe for me to be pregnant. They said, you know, there's some things that we watch more closely when you've had diabetes for that long. But because my A1C was always um, really tight, like six or less, then they said, you know, we think that everything should be fine. However, after I had the two abnormal pregnancies, I started to kind of do my own reflection and think about just my health in general. And I, I, even though like my A1C was good, I just felt like I wasn't as healthy as I could be. So I started, like I knew that there was a lot of variability within uh, my blood sugars during the day. So, and that doesn't always show up on an A1C because you can have high blood sugars that are averaged out by lows and whatnot. So I wanted to do something just to make things more more stable glucose wise. So I I said, you know, before we try this again, I want to change my diet, modify my exercise and just do things so that I actually feel like I'm my best self. So I did that for like a month. We were told we can go ahead and try again. We did. And then that's when uh, we found out that we were having twins. Wow. Like (laughs) just seriously, twins with type 1 diabetes, that kind of blows my mind. Not that the twins have type 1, but that you're pregnant with twins while you have type one. Yeah, it it blew my mind also. (laughs) So was, did you have to move your sensor or your, your sight kind of to keep it away from the babies while you were pregnant? No, I know they say like, if you put it on your, right on your abdomen, then the skin gets a lot tighter and whatnot. So it needs to be moved. My sensors, I usually would put kind of like on my hip area So it was okay during pregnancy. I didn't really have to make any big adjustments since that skin still remained the same. Did your doctors change your, your like goal range for your blood sugar at all? Or like you mentioned that your insulin sensitivity changed during the first and the third trimester. So was your control still tight throughout the whole time? It was tight A1C wise. So I think the, the goal is during pregnancy is for uh, your post-meal blood sugars to be less than 140 one hour after you eat, and then for two hours, less than 120. 
And for me, that wasn't always realistic. However, they were more concerned with like my overall control and my A1Cs always um, remained relatively low. So I think the highest it got during pregnancy was 6.1. And that was in the third trimester when insulin resistance gets really, really high. So my providers were happy with my control. I think I was a little bit harder on myself just because initially, like, especially like in the, the first and second trimester, I was really trying to meet those, those goals that are laid out by the, uh, the American Diabetes Association. And I think I was just giving myself a lot of unnecessary grief about it, because I was doing a good job, but I was really trying to go by the book. And it just, it just wasn't always possible. So that's what I would say to other women who are going through this, like, just try to take it easy on yourself because it can be tough. <laughs> is um, Does buy the book cut out any of your favorite foods? So some of them, some of them, yeah. <laughs> like I said, initially, a lot of stuff, initially, it, it wasn't as hard. And like in the first trimester, because you're so insulin sensitive, that decreases some in the second trimester. I think in the second trimester, my insulin needs were more on par with what they usually are. And then by the third, it was really, really tough. So like there was one point in the pregnancy where I was craving sherbet for some reason. And that one, I like I tried several days in a row and I just found that it was one that I had to give up because I think because it's low fat and high sugar, the spikes were just impossible to control. So I, I tried pre-bolusing, I tried exercising, and I just had to accept that it wasn't going to happen. So I had some sherbet. I just tossed it because I was like, I don't even want to be tempted to eat it. And then my one of my favorite, favorite foods that I try to eat sparingly is gummy candy. So like, I'm not really a chocolate person, but I can't have Sour Patch Kids or stuff like that around me because I can go through them really, really easily. And so those I um, I didn't eat, I believe, at all during the whole pregnancy because I just knew that that would not pan out well for me. I stayed away from those. <laughs> Any other weird cravings besides the sherbet? Yeah. The, so the first trimester, even though I had a lot of nausea, I had a weird craving for Taco Bell. And I hadn't had Taco Bell in like, I want to say maybe 10 years. And like, I'm a foodie. So like, I love tacos, but it's usually like quality stuff. So it was weird that I wanted Taco Bell. Then at one point, I really wanted like tart fruit. So like, I liked like berries or citrus and stuff like that. And then at the end of my pregnancy, maybe because it was hot outside, but i I wanted ice cream. So once a week, I would let myself have an ice cream cone. And I figured out how to manage it with the temp basil rate. Oh, I love temp basils. Oh, me too. They're my uh, my new fave. That's what got me through pregnancy. <laughs> Do you also have the G6 sensor or are you just on the tandem pump? I have the G6. Yep. Okay. Are you using control IQ? So I... So I, I, I was, so it's, I remember it actually, it, it came out, it was released while I was pregnant. However, it's contraindicated during pregnancy. So I couldn't use it while I was pregnant. I had to wait until after I delivered. 
So I have been using it. However, what I found recently is that I feel like it's made my blood sugars higher, which I read that if you're really, really tightly controlled, like I, my A1Cs are usually in the fives that you'll see an increase since I think their, their targeted blood sugar is, it's like 115 or 120 or something like that. I think it's 110. 110. Yeah. So I, I noticed that it made my blood sugars higher. So interesting. Yeah. So I've gone back to turning it off for the most part. Like if, if I feel like I have a low coming on um, and I'm not in a place to like act on it, then I'll turn it on just so that it'll stop my, um, my basil. But I've taken a break from it like for the past week just to see if I feel a difference, which I do think things have been more stable actually okay. without it. But I know a lot of people love it. Oh, yeah. I love it. But for yeah. our listeners, for Control IQ, if you're on the tandem, when you have Control IQ turned on, you can't use temp rates, which is why yeah. I asked that question. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing I found because I do use temperate so much that I found that I was always having to go in, turn off and then turn on my temperate and then having to remember to turn control IQ back on, which was a bit of a to do. And so I, I also tried to figure out how to um, better use the extended bolus so that I wouldn't have to do that. However, I just, for whatever reason, have not had as much luck with the extended Bolus, which was the really the reason that I wanted the pump in the first place. And I've had a lot, a lot more luck with the temperate. So that's usually my go to. Well, whatever works. Yeah. So if you could change anything about your time with your pregnancy, if you could, like, what would you change? And that also applies if you plan to have another kid. I think what I would change, just like I mentioned before, when in the beginning of the pregnancy, of course, I was trying to be like dead on with the targets and have like these perfect blood sugars, like after every meal, just constantly and uh, just feeling like really down about myself if anything was like, out of range at all. And I, I think um, if I could, if I could do it over, I wouldn't be as hard on myself, which later on in the pregnancy, I, I, started feeling better about it because uh, my doctors were really happy with everything. They were very encouraging um, when they said that I was doing great. So that made me feel better. But yeah, I think that's the the biggest change that I would make is not, not scaring myself so much with that and not stressing myself out so much about it. Did you end up having a C-section or a natural birth or like, how did that all go down? I had a natural birth. I was told that as long as baby A, who is now Harper, was head down that I could deliver um, naturally. I was strongly encouraged to have an epidural because my other baby was breech. So they knew that they were going to have to go in and reach and take her out. And they said, we highly recommend that you don't do that without an epidural. Um, So I said, hey, you don't have to convince me any further. (laughs) So I I did have an epidural and I'm glad about it. I don't have any regrets about that. Uh, Did you have any blood sugar concerns during the birthing process? No, um, they actually uh, went over this in detail with me also. Um, I was put on um, an insulin drip with a D5, a dextrose infusion. And so they would check my, the nurses would check my blood sugars hourly throughout the delivery process and um, just modify the insulin drip or the D5 based on what my readings were. So 
it was actually, it was, I think my sugar was almost perfect. Like throughout the whole thing. Um, there was one point where it dropped a little bit low, but outside of that, it was no problem. And it was nice because I didn't have to worry about it because they said, you know, during this process, you're not going to want to have to think about it. We don't want you to have to think about it. So we take care of all of it, which was nice. It's basically the actual closed loop pancreas that we all want, but controlled by doctors. Exactly. Yeah. What was it like to, to hold your daughters for the first time? Oh, it was amazing. It, it felt unreal (laughs) because it's like you spend nine or close to 10 months carrying these little beings and then like they're actually here and it just it feels like it's not it's not real and the fact that there were two of them it just it felt crazy (laughs) I think the only regret that I had was that it was of course they were birthed during COVID so you know we were of course limited in who could join us but yeah do you have any advice for the diabetics out there who may be worried about pregnancy with type 1? I think I would say connect with your doctors. Like if you know that it, that pregnancy is definitely something that you want to pursue at some point, talk to your, I would say, talk to your endocrinologist about it. Also talk to um, your OB-GYN about it. And if you are with a hospital or a medical practice that has a high risk OB, then I would definitely consult with the, the high risk OB group first. And also just don't feel like it's something that you can't do. Like, is it, harder. Absolutely. I, I'm not going to lie. Like it's, it was one of the times where I really wish that I wasn't diabetic because it definitely makes it more difficult, but it's doable. And especially I think with all of the technology, I, I would also say that if you don't have a CGM, I would highly recommend getting one for pregnancy. Even if it's not something that you think you want to keep long-term, I feel like I almost feel like it's a must have for for pregnancy, because prior to that, I was using a glucometer. And like the couple times I was pregnant before this pregnancy, I was checking my blood sugar, like upwards of 20 times a day, just because I was like, so neurotic about trying to like keep things perfect. And that's when I was like, I was like, this is ridiculous. I was like, this is not sustainable. So that's what made me get one. But yeah, I I think that it's a a (laughs) must-have. I 100% agree. And not just during pregnancy. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely not just during pregnancy. I think just in general. Like if I had to pick between like the pump or the CGM, it would be an easy choice, the CGM. Yes. Yes. I say that too all the time. Yeah. All right. Where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? Sure. Uh, My Instagram is Mrs. Chris Heyman. And can you spell that for us? Yeah, I can. It's M-R-S-K-R-I-S-H-A-Y-M-O-N. Perfect. Well, thank you, Kristen, for coming on the show. And uh, we will put all of these links in the show notes. Great. Awesome. Thanks. It's so nice to talk to you. Our question for you guys this week is, what are your thoughts and concerns about type 1 diabetes and pregnancy? Let us know in the comments. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Kristen for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find Kristen on Instagram as at M-R-S-K-R-I-S Heyman. So that's at Mrs. Chris Heyman. And you can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 93. And all the links will be in, in the show notes. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on our page at thisistype1.com. 
Our music is by Joseph McDade. I have a free Facebook group where I coach people in the comments, and I also go live on most Saturdays. You can join Life and Mindset Coaching by visiting the link in the show notes. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, on the Diabetes app as at Colleen Mitchell, and our email is Colleen at InspiredForward.com. Jesse's still on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type 1 diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.